0: Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin.
1: Great to have you with us for another episode of Texas Ag Today. Hello, I'm Kerry Martin along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle
2: all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley. We're hearing some good things about our wheat around the Texas high plains, but we're a long ways from the finish line. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that report coming up on Texas Ag Today.
3: The coronavirus pandemic forced some changes in how the Beef Checkoff implements its programs. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today.
4: The soil test is the first step in efficient fertilizer use and improved forage production. We'll discuss how to collect a soil sample for analysis. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton.
1: We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. It's been a very dry year in the Texas high plains, but there's been just enough precipitation to get the winter wheat
2: crop started. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. Here in the early going, Steely Fishbacher of Texas Wheat Producers is receiving encouraging reports.
5: When I do talk to farmers, they sound pretty optimistic about what the wheat looks like in the field at this point. Given the conditions that we've seen, most of the reports that I'm hearing
2: are pretty decent. Now that's nice to hear. And for farmers who anticipate growing their wheat for grain production, prices have risen to levels where it's maybe time to contemplate a little marketing.
5: The last time that we saw futures prices above 550 was August of 2018.
2: However, the winter wheat season in the Texas High Plains is a long one, and those same farmers who tell Fischbacher their fields look good right now are also expressing concern about the dry forecast for the months ahead.
5: I think we are all very aware of that, that we just don't have the subsoil moisture that we would need to get this crop up and going once we move it to warmer temperatures in the spring.
2: What happens precipitation-wise between now and March will be a big factor as farmers decide whether to keep growing their wheat for grain or take an earlier exit like cutting it for hay. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: Cotton prices have been on a bullish tear over the last couple of weeks thanks to a decrease in cotton production both here in the U.S. and around the world. Dr. Jody Campeche, Vice President of Economics and Policy Analysis for the National Cotton Council, says cotton consumption is on the increase.
5: In the latest USDA report, 2020 world consumption was increased to 116 million bills, mostly due to a 1 million bill increase in India and a 500,000 bill increase in China.
1: And when you combine that with the drop in production, the result is cotton prices in the mid to high 70s. The coronavirus pandemic has changed how beef checkoff programs were implemented here in 2020. Jessica Domel has more.
3: I recently caught up virtually, with Greg Haynes, CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board, for an update on the beef checkoff.
6: This year, obviously, with COVID, has been a a very unique year. A lot of the programs and everything that the checkoff were doing were disrupted just because, you know, everybody was hunkering down at home, you couldn't travel, restaurants were closed, things like that. So all the programs really had to pivot and shift, and they moved to a lot more online-type activities. So regardless of who the target audience was, instead of those face-to-face meetings, it ended up being these kind of Zoom things and stuff like that. Uh, But they actually turned out pretty effective. I mean, there would be instances where, say, we were trying to to train educators. In-person seminar, we might have had 50 people there. But by putting these online, we were actually able to reach, you know, like over a thousand people, you know, with this. And so the same was true, really, in all areas. So moving these things to virtual platforms, we were able to reach more consumers. Consumers with events. We're able to, to reach more chefs. We were able to meet more buyers. We you know, have international programs that were doing a lot of the same things. So that outreach actually increased in a lot of ways, which was interesting. So now we'll have to see how things shift back to normal, if it's the old normal or a new normal or, or what that is.
3: The Beef Checkoff is designed to promote beef.
6: We want beef to be, you know, center of mind for consumers or whoever purchasing it, if it's buyers at restaurants or retail, we want them to be picking beef. The programs, I think, even with all the challenges, you know, we're seeing that demand for beef at retail of all the other meat proteins has increased the most. And we have consumer tracker survey data that shows that now more consumers are eating beef every week compared to before the pandemic. And I don't think this is just by accident. It's not like just all of sudden everybody's like, oh yeah, we like beef. I think this is really testament to the years and years of work that's been out there and getting this information out to the consumers and making sure it's in front of them. And so now when they're in this situation, it's like, yeah, you know, we know beef, we remember beef, let's go back to that.
3: The Beef Checkoff funds projects through contractors that promote beef, provide beef research, communicate with ranchers and reach out to consumers.
6: The checkoff really is a producer driven program. Producers are on committees that look at the different programs. They make suggestions on how to improve the programs. The contractors who are implementing them accept those or look at that and build those into what they're doing. And then there's other committee, the operating committee then that makes those decisions. And again, that's producer-led and producer-driven. So the key thing really is that producers have input into these programs the whole way. If people feel like they're not getting that information or they don't understand the programs, you know, they should contact us or, or check beefboard.org.
3: That was Greg Haynes, CEO of the Cattleman's Beef Board. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dommel.
1: Soil testing is the first step to improving fertilizer use and forage production. Dr. Vanessa Olson reports from East Texas.
4: Soil tests can be used to estimate the kinds and amounts of soil nutrients available to plants. They also can be used as aids in determining fertilizer needs and soil pH. Properly conducted soil sampling and testing can be cost-effective indicators of the types and amounts of fertilizer and lime needed to improve forage yield and quality. The objective in sampling is to obtain small composited samples of soil that represent the entire area to be fertilized or limed. builds up to 40 acres collect at least 15 to 20 cores or slices of soil per composite sample. Unusual problem areas should be omitted or sampled separately. To properly diagnose the causes of poor forage production, collect separate composite samples from the good and poor growth areas. Several tools can be used to collect samples, including trowels, spades, sharpshooters, and soil probes. Soil samples are collected to a depth of six inches for standard routine analysis. Samples should be collected annually for hay meadows and every two to three years for grazing pastures. For soil forms and bags, contact your county extension office. Soil testing is the first step in improving forage production. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson reporting from East Texas with Texas Ag Today.
1: Registration is open for the 2021 American Farm Bureau Federation Virtual Annual Convention. Michael Clements has more from Washington. Farmers and ranchers are encouraged to register for the American Farm Bureau Virtual Annual Convention, planned for January 10th through the 13th, 2021. Nikki Jones, Idea Ag Group Marketing
7: Manager, says the virtual convention will include many of the same aspects as a traditional in-person event.
5: The Farm Bureau Virtual Convention theme this year is Stronger Together, which underscores the importance of unity and finding creative ways to engage and support our friends and neighbors in the industry. You can expect some fabulous keynote speakers, education sessions. We have some of the old favorites, YFNR and the Ag Innovation Challenge, the Foundation Night Inn.
7: Jones says the convention includes a robust lineup of keynote speakers.
5: Our keynote speakers at our general sessions include Mike Rowe, who will join the convention as our special guest for a fireside chat during our closing general session. We've got the Land o Lakes president and CEO, Beth Ford, who will join Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall. And we'll also be featuring an inspirational and entertaining keynote address from Navy SEAL Commander Rourke T. Denver.
7: This year, AFBF is waiving registration fees and inviting all of agriculture to attend.
5: For the first time ever, registration fees are being waived to give all Farm Bureau members and also anyone who's interested in ag the opportunity to experience one of agriculture's premier events from the comfort and safety of their home. Those interested in attending Can find the registration link at annualconvention.fb.org. Register online and then we will send you your registration link to join us
1: on January 10th. Again, register and learn more at annualconvention.fb.org. Michael Clements, Washington. COVID 19 cases have been higher in counties where a high percentage of the population works in the meat processing industry. USDA's Rod Bain has the story.
7: The COVID-19 pandemic's impact on the meatpacking industry was noted with concerns about retail supplies in late spring. Also peaking in late April, according to the 2020 edition of USDA's Rural America at a Glance report, cases of COVID-19 in rural counties where a high proportion of jobs originate from meatpacking operations.
5: These are counties that have at least 20% of their employees working in meatpacking. We could see a very strong relationship in these counties to COVID-19 cases.
7: Economic researcher Elizabeth Dobis says at that peak, cases of COVID-19 in meatpacking-dependent counties reached 50 per population of 100,000 people.
5: A peak that was around 10 times the rate of cases in other
7: counties. Race declined significantly starting in mid-May, with partial plant closures and increased social distancing procedures in place.
5: Since then, these counties have been moving on par with
3: other non-metro counties.
7: I'm Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington,
3: D.C. If you harvest a banded dove this season, be sure to report it. I'm Jessica Domal and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today.
1: Most equine vaccines are given at the same time, but that might not be the best method for vaccinating. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
4: After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery.
2: Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation.
0: We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag
1: Today. Many times when we're vaccinating horses, we just give all of the vaccines at once, but that might not be the most effective method for vaccinating. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more.
8: A study published in the Journal of Equine Veterinary Science out of Japan indicates that vaccinating with a killed equine influenza vaccine and a modified live equine herpes vaccine which is commonly called rhino, is less effective at stimulating immunity against influenza than by vaccinating with these two vaccines separately. The administration of vaccines at the same time did not have an effect on the response to herpes virus vaccine. In contrast, another study tested two kill vaccines for administration both at the same time and at different times, and the kill vaccines produced greater immunity against influenza when given at the same time killed or inactivated vaccines induce a humoral immunity which can be determined by a blood titer result and to some degree cellular immunity which is more long-lasting modified live vaccines provide humoral and cellular immunity so modified live vaccines are much more effective at producing immunity than killed vaccines in general even though giving the killed influenza vaccine given with the modified live herpes vaccine did result in decreased immunity, this does not mean the immunity was not protective against disease, as that depends on lots of other factors. From these studies, it appears that giving killed or inactivated vaccines together is appropriate. However, if you're giving horses a killed influenza vaccine and a modified live herpes virus vaccine, it's probably a good idea to give these vaccines separately. Of course, most vets may be giving other vaccines with influenza and herpes virus vaccine, and we really don't know the effect those vaccines have on influenza immunity. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. If you harvest a banded dove this
1: season, don't forget to report it. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report.
3: If you bag a banded bird during this segment of Dove Season, be sure to report it to the proper authorities. Owen Fitzsimmons, Webless Migratory Game Bird Program Leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, joins us with more.
6: If you bag a
1: morning
3: dove or a wetland
1: dove that is banded, go to www.reportband.gov to report that. That information is pretty critical to how we manage doves at the national scale. The Eurasian collared Dove Banding is a private project with the Texas Dove Hunters Association. They have a contest where you can win different prizes if you do bag a bird that has a band. So check out those guys for that information.
3: Reporting the take of a banded bird helps government officials learn more about the bird itself and the species.
1: The data that we use from band returns, that's essentially how we estimate population abundance at the national level. And that's ultimately what we use to set regulations. So it's, it's critically important that if you do find a banded bird, or if you do harvest a banded
5: bird, that you do report that.
3: Again, you can report those at reportband.gov. Those bands will usually have the URL, which is reportband.gov, followed by a unique number that allows you to report it. Eurasian collared doves with an orange band on them should be reported to the Texas Dove Hunters Association at BandedBirdChallenge.com. The bands are part of a project to study the movements, habitat, and preferences of the invasive Eurasian collared doves. Hunters who have entered the Banded Bird Challenge could win a new truck, scholarship, fishing trip, or other prize for reporting their banded bird. Again, that's at BandedBirdChallenge.com. Today's comments were from Owen Fitzsimmons with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dormul.
1: It seemed like a mostly quiet day on Friday for our agricultural markets. We ended up closing higher for live cattle, lower in feeder cattle. Wheat and cotton both drifted lower to wrap up the week. I'll take a closer look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today.
7: Do you know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, Call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information,
0: visit oli.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Friday saw a
1: mixed trade in the cattle complex. We ended up closing live cattle higher, feeder cattle lower. December live cattle up a $1 dollar 12, 47 February up 40 cents 11485. April live cattle up 22, closing the week at 11865. Feeder cattle dropping lower. January down 52 cents 14045. March feeders down 30 cents 14230. The April down 10, 143.90. It was a fairly quiet trade for the cash fed cattle market. We did see some early sales in the week at 105 up north. That, of course, uh, sharply lower compared to the previous week. However, as we move through the week, prices did strengthen. We saw some Texas sales on Thursday at 108. So that's a couple of bucks lower than last week, but still much stronger than that 105 that we saw earlier in the week. Boxed beef prices mixed on Friday. Choice down $1.46. Two oh eight oh five. Select up a dollar Let's check a couple of auction markets now. We'll start with the weekly sheep and goat auction in San Angelo. Producers Livestock Auction having a very big run. They sold 6,300 head in their normal weekly sale, 2,500 head the following day. And, of course, these sky-high prices we've seen all fall and into the winter finally pulled back somewhat. We saw lower prices with wooled feeder lambs $20 to $30 lower, slaughter hair lambs $20 to 30 dollars lower slaughter ewes 5 to 10 lower and the kid goats 20 to 30 lower slaughter nannies a dollar 30 to 208 mostly 160 to 180 mature billies 180 to 225 Wooled feeder lambs $2 to 266 Slaughter lambs: We saw the lighter weights bring two thirty to three forty-eight. The heavier weight slaughter lambs, a dollar eighty to two ninety. Slaughter ewes, eighty cents to a dollar eighteen. Kid goats, two forty to three fifty-six. Mostly three dollars to three thirty-two, and we had some feeders up to four o five. Now let's go up to the panhandle. Cattleman's Livestock Auction, Dalhart, Texas, selling 1,302 head. Steer and heifer calves under 600 pounds were steady to $2 lower. Steers and heifers over 600 pounds sold steady. Medium and large frame number one feeder steers had a few weighing three to 400 pounds. They brought $1.98 to $204. Four to five weight steers, $1.68 to $202. Five to six hundred pounders a dollar fifty one 51 to a dollar sixty nine a pound, six to seven weight steers a dollar thirty one 31 to a dollar forty two, seven to eight hundred pounders a dollar twenty eight to a dollar thirty six, and the heavy eight to nine hundred pound steers brought a dollar thirty one 31 to a dollar thirty seven a pound. Slaughter cows range from nineteen to sixty four cents. Slaughter bulls fifty nine to seventy seven. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs. Wrapped up the week on a higher note. February hogs up 30 cents, 65.80. The April up 62, 69.92. Class 3 milk was mixed. January milk down 2 cents, 15.62. 100 weight. It was a quiet, lackluster trade in the cotton market to wrap things up on Friday. A bit of a correction on the nearby contracts, but really nothing much to talk about. A lot of bullish news has been in this market. A weak U.S. dollar, very strong supply and demand numbers, as well as big export sales, all pushing cotton prices higher into the week. We wrapped up on Friday with March cotton down three points, 77.16. The May down six, 7783, December 21, cotton up 28 points, 7390. Not much news to talk about in the wheat market. Same story as cotton, just a very quiet trade to wrap up the week. We were fractionally lower in both hard and soft wheat. March Kansas City wheat down 3 quarters, 569 and a quarter. New crop July wheat down a quarter penny, 575 and 3 quarters. July Chicago wheat down a quarter cent, wrapping up the week at 6 three and three quarters. The corn market put in a higher close Friday, September corn up four and a quarter, 423. December 21 corn up three and a half, 418 and a half. In the energy markets, January natural gas up seven cents two hundred seventy one. January crude oil up fifty-four at forty eight ninety a barrel. The financial markets lower the Dow Jones industrial average down 122 points. 30,180. The NASDAQ down 9, The S&P 500 down 13 at 3,709. That wraps up our look at the markets. And that wraps another episode of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, we'll be right back here next time to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. Hope to see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today.
0: Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today.